Bible has just came to life. You feel the presence of God, but you also hear the presence of God. On the ground, there's so many stories that I can share with you. The impact that pastors had on me. Obviously, the Bible is this ancient text. I got sucked into the Bible now, and I'm about to play my role. Welcome to Passages Voice. Short interviews from the many voices of Passages. From the ones that make the magic happen behind the scenes, to the real heroes of our program, our alumni. Hello everyone, this is Rachel Powell, and I have the pleasure today to be here with Robert Nicholson, the Executive Director of the Philos Project. Um, today, we are gonna be talking a little bit about a, a nation state law that was passed on July 19th through the Israeli parliament. Um, this has kind of been a bit controversial in the news and all over the place, and maybe you guys have heard a little bit about it, but today I wanted to have Robert come on and give us a little bit more of a deeper dive into what this law is all about and why there's been so much controversy in the media about it. So Robert, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Rachel. It's good to be with you. Yeah, so we I'm excited to have you on because I know I would also like to know a little bit more about what's going on in Israel with this particular law. So first, can you give us a little bit of a like a background about what exactly is this nation state law? Sure, well, this law, it's called the nation state law. And uh, it was recently passed, as you said, by the Israeli Knesset or parliament, um, just, just here a few weeks ago on July 19th. Uh, this law is different from most other laws that are passed by the Knesset in that it's actually a basic law. Now, basic laws uh, are actually not basic. They are laws that in the future will serve as articles of the Israeli constitution. Now, unlike the U.S., Israel doesn't actually have a constitution at this point. It has basic laws, and these basic laws are on a variety of different topics, and together they, they form something like a constitution for the Israeli government, for the Israeli courts, and they're used to judge whether other laws are constitutional or not. So it's more than a, than a regular law. This is an extra special law. There's only a handful of these basic laws, and each one of them is dedicated to a unique topic related to the state of Israel. Now, this, this law in particular, as you can probably guess by the name, is really about the identity of the state. What is the state of Israel? And this law gives an answer, and it says that the state of Israel is a Jewish state. It is the nation state of the Jewish people. And this law, in a number of different uh, paragraphs, lays out in particular what, what that means. So it starts out by saying the land of Israel is the historic homeland of the Jewish people. Uh, it says the state of Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people. It says that the right of self-determination inside the state is exclusive to the Jewish people. It also describes a number of kind of basic things. It says that what the name of the state is Israel, as we know. It says that the flag is the flag that we know it to be. It talks about the official emblem. It talks about the national anthem and then moves to some of the more uh, controversial parts of the law. And this law is very controversial. So the first provision that's worth noting is about the capital of the state of Israel. What is the capital of the state of Israel? Well, according to this law, it is the complete and undivided city of Jerusalem. Uh, for many people, that's problematic. 
because Jerusalem is one of those issues, those final status issues that are still being, uh, in theory, negotiated between the state of Israel and the Palestinian Authority. The law then goes on to talk about language and says that Hebrew is the official language of the state of Israel. Now, for the last 70 years, it's long been understood that both Hebrew and Arabic are official languages of the state. This law seems to say that Hebrew is the one and only official language of the state of Israel. It does, however, go on to say that the Arabic language enjoys special status and that this law doesn't change any of what's been done before. So what's the difference between Arabic being an official language or being a special language? That's a question that people are debating. Uh, the other uh, provisions go on to say that the state of Israel is open for Jewish immigration and in gathering the exiles from around the world. Uh, it says that the development of Jewish settlements is a national value and should be advanced. It says that the calendar is officially the Hebrew calendar. It says uh, uh, Independence Day is the official national holiday of Israel. It talks about Shabbat, saying that Shabbat and Jewish holidays are official designated days of rest. And it says that, lastly, this law shall not be amended by any other basic law passed by a majority of Knesset members. Now, this law is a big deal. Obviously, it states the core values, the core identity of what Israel is all about. The fact that Israel, the Israeli population, is more than 20% non-Jewish makes this law, for some people, very problematic. They say, how can Israel be an officially Jewish state with Hebrew as its official language and still have 20 plus percent uh, of its population to be non-Jews, be Arabs, be Arabic speaking? Um, and that's really the debate that people are having right now. And it's not just between Jews and Arabs, it's also between uh, different Jews inside Israel, people from the right wing, people from the left wing, really debating what is Israel all about and how does this law uh, help that or hurt it? That's the debate that people are having today. Yeah, that is fascinating. So with all this controversy and debate, it kind of leads me in my mind to the question of why was it even introduced? So what, what's exactly, what are they trying to do by passing this law and um, do you see it as in any way as like an obstacle to peace? So if you know anything about Israel, and this is probably true for many countries, but much of what Israel does is not just about the conflict, it's not about international opinion. A lot of it is actually just about the domestic environment. It's about the internal debates, arguments, the internal politics of the state of Israel. And Lord knows there's, there's plenty of that. So many people would say that this law really arises from kind of one part of the Israeli political spectrum trying to make a statement to the other part. More specifically, right-wing Israelis drawing a line in the sand for left-wing Israelis and saying, you know, enough beating around the bush. Let's put it on the books. Israel is the Jewish state, and we're not going to apologize for that. So there is the domestic sort of political calculation that's important to remember. And uh, it's, it's also important to remember that there's no such thing as, you know, Israel doing something or Israel not doing something. Israel, like the United States, is a very complicated uh, uh, state. It's a very complicated society. 
there's Jews, there's Arabs, there's other groups, there's right wing, there's left wing, there's people in the middle. So all of this is very much a topic of debate between the various communities within the state of Israel. That's also important uh, to note. Um, but as far as the law and kind of the bigger picture, you know, what does this mean uh, for the Israeli public? What does it mean for the future of peace? I would actually say that, you know, there's really nothing in this law that's very new whatsoever. The idea that Israel is the state of the Jewish people has been around since 1948. This is what uh, Israeli Jews have been saying since the very beginning. Um, the, the rest of the provisions are really just articulations of statements that have been made uh, many times by Israeli governments on both the right and the left. Uh, things about Jerusalem, things about the Hebrew calendar, things about national holidays. These are actually pretty standard. And the basic law, if there's really any kind of big criticism of the law, it might be that it really doesn't do anything uh, that's new, except maybe stir up some trouble with people who don't like it. Uh, the one section that could be considered new is section four, language, which I already mentioned, this idea that Hebrew is the sole official language of Israel, and that Arabic is now special rather than official. So Arabs naturally are displeased with this. Yet for me, it's still unclear whether this shift from official to special is going to lead to any meaningful change in practice. And the law, in fact, says that it will not. Um, but I think we're, we're really kind of waiting to see if Netanyahu's government or any subsequent government are, is going to take steps to curtail the rights of Arab citizens. For now, it seems very unlikely that anything will change uh, on the ground or that Arabic will lose its favored place in Israeli public life. Interestingly, Israel's Druze community um, has come out uh, very much against this law, or at least uh, several of the major leaders of, in the Druze community um, have been uh, very vocal uh, against the passing of the nation state law. And if you remember, the Druze are a small minority, a few hundred thousand. They speak Arabic. They don't really consider themselves Arabs. They're sort of related to Islam religiously, but they're, they're really not Muslims either. They're kind of their own thing. And Druze are scattered in Lebanon, in Syria, and in parts of Jordan, in addition to Israel. And they have a very unique kind of uh, view on the world. Interestingly, the Druze are well known to be one of the minorities inside Israel that's very, you could say, pro-Israel. Many of them, if not most of them, serve in the Israeli army. They've become very well known in public life and really uh, uh, poster children for non-Jews working together with Jews for the betterment of the state. Um, as Arabic speakers and as non-Jews, Druze leaders have opposed the law. Currently, as we're speaking here now, Prime Minister Netanyahu and others who are part of the government are trying to smooth this over, but uh, it remains to be seen actually uh, what's going to happen. I would say the biggest the biggest problem that people have with the law is the fact that Israel is linking ethnic identity with national identity. So they're linking Jewish identity with Israeli identity. And for people like us who are raised in the United States or raised in Canada, this idea that a state could call itself the unique home of a particular people 
who have a unique right to self-determination is, is kind of unthinkable. It sounds really racist. There's really nothing in our experience as Americans or Canadians or Frenchmen or women um, that, has, that has really prepared us for this kind of uh, very parochial thinking. But identifying a state as the home of, of one ethnic or national group isn't really that unique. In fact, if you look around the world, it's actually more common than saying that the state is just home for everybody who buys into its constitution. So I was recently, just a week ago or so, I was in Croatia. And Croatia is a country whose constitution was created to serve the very specific ethnic, linguistic, and cultural needs of the Croatian people. And if you look around Europe, you'll find other constitutions that do the same thing. Ireland for the Irish, Poland for the Poles, Slovakia for the Slovaks, Spain for the Spanish. And if you look in Asia and Africa, you'll find very similar things. And as an American, you have to come to this realization that most states in the world prefer some kind of ethnic distinction. And liberal democracies like ours are, are really the exception. Now, some people will say, no, 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 Jewishness is not an ethnic identity. That doesn't count. Jewish is a religious marker. Judaism is the same thing as Jewishness. And because Jewishness is religious, that can't serve as a constitutional basis for a state. Now, I would very much dispute that. I think Jewishness is truly an ethnic identity. But let's just say that the Jewishness is strictly religious. Same thing. Many countries around the world identify in very specific ways with a particular religion. So, of course, most Middle Eastern countries will affirm Islam as their official religion. Um, Malta and Costa Rica, those are Roman Catholic countries by law. Bulgaria is an Orthodox country. Norway is a Lutheran country. Engl England itself is an Anglican country. There's no separation of church and state in England. It's an Anglican state, and the king or the queen is the head of the Church of England. So this is all pretty standard. Ethnic and religious distinctions are very much embedded in the way that most states define themselves. And so you realize that whether it's defined as ethnic or religious, uh, the Jewish identity of Israel isn't really all that unique. And I'll give you one more example that's actually much more uh, important for the conversation that we're having, and it goes to the question that you asked about peace. Now, many people don't know that uh, Israel isn't the only country in the Holy Land that is making basic laws. The Palestinian Authority, which is the beginnings of a future state of Palestine, it also passes basic laws. And there's one law in particular called the Palestine Basic Law that was passed in the 90s and has been amended uh, over the years. Uh, the latest version is now from 2003. Uh, that, like the Israeli Basic Laws, is intended to be part of the constitution of the future state of Palestine. So this is essentially the Palestinian constitution. And if you look at that constitution, you'll realize that it defines Palestine as part of the Arab world and says that Arab unity is the singular goal of the Palestinian people. The Palestine Basic Law also defines Arabic as Palestine's official language. It defines Jerusalem as its official capital and defines Islam as its official religion. So right next door to Israel, this country that just passed a nation-state law, a basic law, you find another fledgling government that passed virtually the exact same law 15 years ago. 
defining official language, official religion, official ethnic identity. And you realize, in looking at both of them very closely, that this Jewish identity of Israel finds parity in the Arab and Muslim identity of Palestine. And so I would ask, if Palestine can be Arab and can be Muslim, why couldn't Israel be Jewish? So I don't think that it's a problem that states maintain, I don't care which state, uh, maintains an ethnic or religious distinction. Um, even if I find that kind of hard to understand as an American, when I get worried is when those states start to diminish or suppress the rights of minorities who don't identify with the majority. So I don't think, I don't think Israelis or Palestinians need to apologize for affirming the ethnic and religious character of their state. Um, and I don't think uh, that we should be bashing either of them for saying, this is who we are, this is well, how we want to organize our society. I would say this, though. It's important that the Palestine Basic Law and the Israeli nation-state law are set within the context of the two-state solution or the two-state paradigm. We know that the Jewish state of Israel can't swallow the Palestinians, and we know, or we should know, that the Arab state of Palestine, or the future Arab state of Palestine, can't destroy the Israelis. Both sides are just too numerous, too nationally minded, and too, let's say, stubborn to disappear. So efforts to reinforce the identity of one should be paired with similar efforts to recognize the identity of the other. And for me, the real question is whether these two basic laws are going to harm the ability of Arabs and Jews to live, in, live as minorities in the other state. So will Arabs be able to continue living as equal Arabic-speaking citizens of Israel? On the same on the same uh, note, will Jews be allowed to live as equal Hebrew-speaking citizens in the future state of Palestine? Those are the questions that we should be asking. And for me, beyond all the rhetoric and the politics, those are the only two questions that matter, both now and the present, but also in the future when it comes to this question about peace. That, that is absolutely fascinating. Um, so my question would be with this, with this divide between like what, what's actually happening here and what's really important and the way that we want to make sure that minorities are not being trampled. Um, is there, is there a way that we can kind of monitor this from our side to see, okay, this is what's happening right now with this nation state law. Um, but what's going to be happening with it in the future and how can we better like kind of stay involved in terms of being on the lookout for these infringements on minorities, whether it's in Palestine or in, in Israel? So look, I think it's a great question, Rachel, and I think this is perhaps one of the most important questions we could be asking about the Middle East writ large. And I think it's important that we think regionally and not just in terms of Israel or the Holy Land. The Middle East in general has a minority problem. And I don't care if you're talking about Israel or the Palestinian Authority or Iraq or Iran, or Syria, or Yemen, or Saudi Arabia, across the region, the rights, the status, the identity of minorities is constantly uh, a question. And so we, as I think Christians living in the West, people who care about peace, who care about pluralism, uh, different kinds of people living together uh, in, a, in an attitude of mutual respect, we should be 
um, in an ongoing way, watching the Middle East with a special eye toward minority rights. And we at the Philos Project, as you know, we work a lot on minority rights, both in the Holy Land, but also beyond. This is something that I think we have a special responsibility to pay attention to. And so what I would say is just to, to follow the news. Now, I know that seems like a, a very general um, task, but this, this nation state law, this debate that's surrounding it is very much playing out in real time. And I think people who, who care about this should begin to pay attention. Uh, a website like the Times of Israel, uh, which is in English, or the Jerusalem Post, also in English, are carrying articles almost every day from people on all sides of this debate who are writing op-eds, who are being interviewed, who are speaking their mind about this issue. And I think that these articles are articles that we definitely should be reading. I think we should also be cultivating and deepening relationships that we have with minorities who actually live inside Israel. So if you've been on passages, you've met Shadi Khalul, who lives in the northern part of the country and who has very much uh, been talking about uh, this issue um, uh, in, in recent days. I think Phaedra Shapiro, who everyone has also met, who is speaking as a Jew uh, about this issue, also has some important things to say. Um, and there are others as well. So I think just paying attention uh, to the news in general, paying attention to the passages and Philos Project uh, social media, where we're posting articles about these issues, um, staying in touch with uh, the community of people who've been on passages and who participate in Philo's programming, I think is the best way to pay attention. And I, I can speak for myself in saying that, uh, I'll repeat what I said before. I have no issue with Israel being the nation state of the Jewish people. I have no issue with the future state of Palestine being the nation state of the Arab uh, and Muslim people. But as soon as I see um, on one side or the other, the rights of minorities, I don't care if they're ethnic minorities or religious minorities, uh, being infringed, I will be the first one to speak out. So if you're paying attention to my social media uh, and my Twitter, you'll know when uh, I feel like something crossed the line. And, and absolutely at that point, I think that everyone uh, should get involved. But in the meantime, I think that uh, it's it's far too early to paint these uh, developments with broad strokes as racist or colonialist or imperialist. I actually think it's pretty normal. Uh, I'm surprised it's taken Israel 70 years to codify these ideas in a piece of legislation. And uh, until, until they uh, rise to the level of a problem, I think we should uh, hold judgment and just be patient and wait and see what happens. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for giving us kind of a little bigger picture of what this nation state law is. I know it's really informed me a lot and um, I look forward to chatting with you again sometime in the future. Thank you, Rachel. It was a pleasure. For more exclusive content, visit passagesisrael.org backslash pulse. Thanks for listening.